Welcome to the Scuttlebutt on 89.1 KNSJ Disconzo, San Diego's only military radio hour. With your hosts, Maximus and Van, bringing you news, stories, and interviews from and for the military and veteran community of San Diego. What's up, guys? Thanks for listening to another episode of the Scuttlebutt Show, and uh, I have one familiar voice here, Mike. Mike, what's up? What's up? How's everyone doing? You guys might remember Mike from, uh, he is my buddy, he's a photographer, filmmaker, and his company is Star Spangled Sups, a CBD oil company, and uh, how's all that going? It's going great. It's going great. Start the new year pretty strong. Um, just finished hosting two events, one here in SoCal, one in uh, Virginia Beach. Actually finished yesterday, and we're looking to sponsor a couple more events for powerlifting um, and more weightlifting events as well. So it's going it's going great right now. Tag awesome. And, and photography is doing well. Just been shooting a lot more and just trying to just link up with more people, including yourself. We always shoot together and other, whoever else wants to shoot, let's do it. That's awesome, dude. And I saw you were hanging out with Dean Kane. Uh, who, in my opinion, is maybe, like, the greatest Superman. Did you ever watch that, Diego? Uh, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, where Dean Cain was Superman? No, I haven't seen it yet. It's, well, it's old. <laughs> you, you have to go back and see it. It's from, like, the 1990s. But I think it's, uh, in my opinion, one of the greatest renditions of Superman uh, that there's been. So, now you've heard his voice. Our special guest today is Diego Galde. Hello. Did, did I say that right? Sure did. Uh, and, Diego, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your uh, military career. Uh, and then we're going to talk about, uh, get, you know, you're retired, you retired from the Navy, um, about that and, uh, you know, how, how the good life is and, uh, <laughs> and how business is. All right. Yeah. So uh, I just retired of the SEAL teams this last May. Uh, and uh, during that transition, we've started a company where the Trident approach. And so we just help uh, companies learn how to create the same type of family environments that we are able to experience in the SEAL teams. Uh, so we're brand new, but we've already gotten some really cool projects under our belt already and looking forward to a, to a really strong opening to this new year. So, yeah, excited about that for sure. That's awesome. Uh, so tell me about the, um, so the family environment of the teams, right? What is, can you, can you expand on that a little bit? And then can you kind of describe what, so, y- you know, the messaging of our show, it's for people who are getting out, right? People whose military career is coming to an end. And one of the biggest things that people struggle with is the culture shock of maybe moving to, um, to corporate or uh, uh, in industrial or working in retail or whatever people like really, you know, are striving to do or entrepreneurial. So you're, you're addressing two of those big things. You're an entrepreneur and you're also dealing with corporate people. Uh, so what is, the, what is the biggest problem or gap that you see in teams of people who have never served, never had an experience like yours and coming out of the military? Uh, well, yeah, well, that's absolutely why why we started the Trident approach to begin with. Uh, about two years before I was uh, getting ready to retire, I started thinking like, well, you know, it's, this is getting real. Like, what am I going to do when I when I get out? And people don't understand that there's there's a lot of growing up that needs to happen um, with people in the military. Um, you know, even even though you may be you know in your late thirties, early forties, uh, and haven't been working in this professional environment for twenty plus years you know, you're kind of always told where to go and where to be and what to wear and all that stuff. And, and, and when that date hits, you know, that's now up to you. And it, it may sound like a little thing, I think, to most people who have been doing that stuff every day for, you know, their civilian lives. But, you know, it's something new and, and significant for those of us who weren't. So there was that. There, were, there was that whole thing, like, how am I going to take care of it? But, but more importantly, 
you know, for me, I need to be surrounded by people I can trust. And I also need to be surrounded by people that can trust me. And whether I'm right or wrong, my, my idea of, of what life is like in the corporate world is that you kind of have to fend for yourself if you want to succeed. You know, we, with the term that we use in the military is kind of like serial bullying. You know, like, this is mine, this belongs to me. You know, nobody else can have, uh, you know, input on this or whatever. And then you go to your boss and then you show them like this, you know, whatever it was that you're working on and say, hey, you know, this is me, I did this. And honestly, I would just drown in that environment because what that ultimately ends up leading to is kind of, you know, infighting kind of creates uh, scenarios of distrust. And and uh, like I said, I just would not be able to survive in those types of environments. So uh, I had two options. I could either get a job with other veterans um, where living in that supportive, mutual supporting, you know, environment is just that stuff that just goes unsaid. It's just understood. Or I could start my own company. And so uh, I decided to start my own company, but I didn't necessarily know what I was going to do. And then I went to the Honor Foundation uh, with you and Mike and, uh, and um, through some really hardcore kind of self-introspection, kind of figuring out who I was, why I'm here, you know, what I was born to do. Uh, I started connecting the dots and I was like, man, you know, the most common question I got when I was serving on active duty from corporate leaders was, you know, how is it that you guys work together and communicate together so well? And I was like, man, I've got answers for that. And not only do I have answers for that, but if I can play a part in helping people get to a place in their work where they trust the people that they're with and they're happy to show up to work and they're really kind of doing what they were born to be doing, like that's a huge, awesome, and amazing way for me to spend, you know, the next chapter of my life. You know, I've been, my whole entire professional life has been in service of others. And, uh, to, but, but for that to be my new mission is just awesome. And so, yeah, I mean, when you're an entrepreneur and it's up to you to do, you know, you got a blank slate, whatever you want to do, you could do it. And, uh, and, and being in that position and just kind of creating your own path. I mean, it's, I mean, you're retiring. So there's a sense that maybe, you know, you've got a certain number of years under your belt, but man, it's rejuvenating. I mean, it's, there's this whole brand new energy that, that I wake up with every day. Uh, that I didn't necessarily have, you know, uh, the past couple of years, uh, especially in the teens, you know. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a really awesome journey. We're doing well so far. Um, yeah, just just really fortunate and lucky to be where we're at right now. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I think now is probably a good time to mention to people listening that uh, that's we di- that's how we met. We yeah. met. I talk about the Honor Foundation on this show almost every episode. Uh, I'm always plugging it. It's such a great program. You guys know that's how Mike and I met, if you've been listening. And then that's how Diego and I uh, and Mike all kind of linked up and, and got to know each other. And uh, fun fact about Diego, he was our honor man. He so was. Diego was our leader in the <laughs> honor foundation. He was voted as the, uh, yeah. the the leader of our cohort in the honor foundation and um, still gets to be involved in the, in the future classes and the development of that program, which is really cool. Uh, so you said something that I wanted to ask you about. Um, uh, well, before I do, Mike, did you have anything uh, that you were thinking off, off of that? No, that was, that was, that was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, knowing Diego, for, I first met Diego actually on a deployment in Iraq almost a decade ago now, I think. So it was awesome to see you again. We did the Honor Foundation. I was like, oh, man, it's good to see you catch up. We're at and kind of now the progression of our second chapters in our life of where we're going. So it's awesome to see. Yeah, it's um, another. Th- so even before I get to the question that I had. Another thing that I'm astounded by every day, especially being part of the Bunker Labs program now, is the uh, 
post-military veteran networks that I've noticed exist and they are strong. So wherever you are, uh, and wherever you are when you're listening to this, even if you're still active duty, I would start considering reaching out to uh, different Facebook groups, uh, local veteran networks. Like there's a uh, the Veterans Beer Drinking Club or something like that in San Diego, which even if you're not a beer drinker, it's a, it's really more of a professional network. Like you go there and you meet other veterans who are in business. There's a lot of that stuff going on. And then within your organization, maybe seek out or consider starting a veteran network because there are veterans serving at every level in every industry right now. And that's only going to continue to grow as the post 9-11 generation starts to retire, which believe it or not is, you know, like next year, uh, if you joined around uh, September 11th, uh, when of course there was a large influx of service members. So um, hitting that corporate sector and and developing and, and, and uh, uh, transferring your skills that you learned in the military to business is going to start to become more and more valuable and make that known that you are in that uh, elite club. So, Diego, the question I was getting at was, uh, it's, I heard you say something that made me think maybe at the end of your career, you were ready to move on. Were you ready? To, when you retired, were you ready to, for the next adventure, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have, what I didn't realize until after the fact was that I, I absolutely do have an entrepreneurial spirit. And, uh, you know, when you get into the Navy, I mean, all that kind of stuff, you know, there's not a whole lot of room for that uh, kind of thinking. Um, but when my time was, I mean, obviously, when I was talking about, you know, I was thinking about this about two years before I retired, you know, it, it was not, you know, in the forefront of my thought process to be like, hey, it's 20 years, I can do 30. You know, um, you know, I was a senior chief at the time. Um, I, I was like, yeah, absolutely, I can, I can stay in this thing for a whole another 10 years if I want to. And and to be honest, I mean, everything is different for, for different people, for sure. Uh, but for me, it was, no, man, I've got, I've got this whole other avenue that I can go down. Uh, I can create this whole, you know, force of good for, for other people. And there's no really real reason to delay that. Ultimately, is how that whole thing ended up being. I think it's great that you had the self-awareness, right, to decide that and then the drive to pursue it. So I had the same feelings when I was getting ready to get out. Uh, but one thing, and I don't know if you share this, I've talked to other people who have, uh, who, who have said both, like they experienced what I'm about to describe, and also that they have not. Uh, and maybe that's because they had more of a concrete, like this is how I want my life to go after I get out. But I was almost overwhelmed by the idea of being able to do anything that I wanted. Yeah. Uh, like the moment it hits you, like you can move, you know, you can stay home, right? It's your, your success or failure or, or, uh, uh, amount of work that you want to put in and return on investment for that work is entirely up to you, which is good, but it can be overwhelming too, because, you know, you reach a point and we were kind of just talking about this and Mike, you, you, I'm sure you'll have something to add here where, uh, you need to start going out and finding opportunities and talking to people and making phone calls. That's, that doesn't just come to you and you don't just get tasked. It's yeah. up to you to seek it out. Uh, have, what do you think? Did you feel something like that? When, did, was there a moment where you were like, oh man, here I am. It's, it's up to me now. Yeah, but it was, it was an amazing feeling. It was absolutely energizing you know, the possibilities are endless kind of thing. And, and it's almost like you're cutting the tether. You're out and, you know, you're out in outer space from, you know, and you're just cutting the tether. Hey, see what happens, you know? 
that's not for everyone for sure. And that's, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's, it, it is what it is. But for me, it was absolutely just like, oh man, like it's, it's time to start living this, this whole other life now. So for sure I did, I did experience that. What about you, Mike? Yeah, I think for me, and I think I can relate to this obviously is that I felt like I can take control now. Uh, when I was in, it was just like, I didn't have that control. Someone was trying to dictate a lot to me. We kind of had some t- type of freedom with being in, in, in NSW, but being out of that completely, like you have a control, I can go do this, or I can like, I'm like, no, I'm going to go do this today. I can dictate my day, my hours, my week, my month, my year, and, I, and it's just amazing to have that control. Some people, I feel, they're in the military, they don't want that, and that's totally, totally fine because some people – are able to, you know, capitalize on that. I just knew that when I was ready to get out, I, I was like, I just want to do me. I want to dictate my life and my schedule from, that, from this point on. And I'm not going to go back to working for somebody else. I Yeah, it, it's great, right? Uh, what I did wrong, um, and I don't know if too many people have this problem, is I did too many things. I got involved in too many different things. And I started to realize that I was doing a lot of things, but I wasn't giving all of those things, the attention that they deserved. So I had to let it, and, and you know what? These aren't big, these are like, well, not not big things, but these are things that certainly were like my choice to do. Like I did um, like improv comedy. Uh, nice. <laughs> and and I really enjoyed it. It was super fun. I actually remember uh, you talking about that when we were yeah. going through it. That's, that's really super cool. Yeah, it was super fun. And I did it for a while. Uh, but eventually they, you know, my team, and I appreciate this, this is a, that's how I know this was a good team. They were like, hey, Max, uh, we need you to be here more at practice during the week it, and not, like, traveling. For, like, if you're going to be traveling for work or doing other stuff, uh, we need you to make a decision. Like, we could bring somebody else on who can be here more, or you're welcome to stay, but you need to put in more time. And I was like, hey, respectfully, and I appreciate where you guys are coming from, I probably can't put more time in, so you're right. I should, like, make way for somebody else. And that's totally fine. And I do this show, and this is a huge passion of mine, and I do my uh, video production, and then I do my, I have a day job, and the family, and all this stuff. So, it, uh, it, it was like I let it, I let the opportunity to go do whatever I wanted, and then I did everything all at once, and uh, it was a lot, it was a lot to take in. Um, so now I'm kind of, I'm settling on, settling that stuff out, and I've been out for, you know, a couple of years, and that's, I'm finally in my groove of, uh, of things are pretty, pretty smooth and under control now. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, because there's nothing wrong. I mean, I don't know that that's wrong um, at all. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with this just jumping in the ocean and figuring stuff out, you know, as long as you can swim, which you can, I mean, in, in the relation to that is, is to, to make that relative. It's, you know, you're a grown person, you're mature, you know, you've got drive, you'll make it happen. You know, you're, you're not going to sink your family from the decisions that you're making. So if that's the case, if you've got that stuff to fall back on, yeah, man, I mean, figure it out. I mean, you're never going to, you can figure out so much and, and so many things by talking to people who've already done that and been there and all that kind of stuff, but you never really know until, you know, you're the one who's taken all that stuff on. So, I mean, I think what you did is absolutely normal um, and, and brave and really great and all these things. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's wrong at all. I think it's awesome you did that. Yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> I, I totally agree with that. I think, I think many people live their life now with a lot of caution, and instead of like, you know what, you did it, it worked out, it did. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But at least you need to look back and say, you know what, I tried this, 
by sitting like when you're like 70 years old, 80 years old, and you're just like, now what if I actually did go t- try to improv? I wonder what, what would have happened. You'd be like, no, I did it. I tried it. It was great, but other things were happening in my life that were more priority in a sense. And that's why I, I decided to focus on. So you have an answer to that question. It's never going to be like a, what if I tried this or what if I did it? Yeah, I've always said you should, you should never not do something because you're scared you might fail at it. Instead, you should do it because you know you might succeed at it. Like there's yeah. most things like people say, I've, I've heard people say like failure is not an option, but it really always is an option. You know, especially when the enemy gets a say, as, as we use in mission planning, right? Right. So failure is always an option. But when you try something new, you have to just put all, all of your effort into it and try your best and per- persevere when things start to get weird. Or, you know, maybe in, in that case, like I was talking about, I was like, oh, that's just not for me right now. Uh, and then that was totally fine, too. I so, mean, I'm oh, sorry. I think the question you asked is, is it really failing? Did, did you I, really I wouldn't, fail? No, I wouldn't, right? say, I wouldn't say that was failing. Yeah. That was just... Uh, uh, timing, you know, we're, you know, focusing on, on the right thing at the right time. Um, so Diego, how did you, what was like, uh, when you started the Trident approach, what was the process of launching your business from conception to, uh, like going through filing a business, getting your first client, uh, dealing with like contracts and all that stuff? Uh, what were some lessons learned? What was that first, first time like? So this may be hard for a lot of people to believe, but they don't teach Navy SEALs how to market or build business plans or, <laughs> or any of that stuff. You know, you, when, when you're doing that, I mean, I, I suspect like, like many first-time entrepreneurs, it's, it's, it's a completely new world. And so I'd like to share uh, with your listeners things that the three of us were taught in, in the Honor Foundation that absolutely helped me through the process they didn't help me through the process they they guide i mean they hand walked me across the street through the process <laughs> and that is uh, uh the concept of 50 cups of coffee um oh awesome. i talk about yeah, this amazing. all the time because it literally absolutely changed my life in a really positive way um it is the reason why we've come as far as we have with the trident approach and so i'll get to it so it's so whether you want to build a house plant crops, or start a business, uh, what you do is you have um, 50 cups of coffee with different people um, who've already done what you're trying to do. And what ends up happening is after that 50 cups of coffee with those 50 different people um, is you get 800 years of experience of, you know, where to put your money, where not to put your money, where to put your time, where not to put your time. Um, essentially making you as efficient as possible. And especially when you're starting a company, I mean, you're always just, money just disappears. I mean, it's just kind of the, the, the way it goes. And if you can be more effective with those decisions, then that's all the better for you. So the idea is that, um, you know, you start off, you know, generally speaking, I haven't met anybody yet who did not know who their first cup of coffee should be with yet, regardless of what they were trying to do. But what you do, and, and, and the thing about it is you can have these conversations with, with people that you've known for years, for example, but the conversation is absolutely different when you say, hey, listen, man, I want to talk to you on this day during this time, um, but I'm really interested in getting your, your lessons learned. You know, what did you learn? What did you learn the hard way? What were some things that you kind of discovered on your own? Because I'm getting ready to do what you do. And 
like I said, you could have had a conversation with these people many, many times over about this same exact subject, but the conversation turns out to be just a little bit different because it's now changed from, you know, hey, we're just, you know, we're just talking to, I'm here to help you. And so you never show up to a cup of coffee without, you know, something to write with. And you, you really are, t- you know, it's, you're letting them know that their time is valuable to you and you appreciate the time that they're taking out to spend. So you write down as much as you can. And then the next most important thing that you do in your cup of coffee is, you know, do you know who else I can talk to you about this? And just to put it in perspective, um, because of my 50 cups of coffee, um, I've been able to speak to the director of marketing for Ford Motor Company. Uh, I've been able to speak to the guy who created and how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. I talked to the guy who created the stork for Velastic Pickles. I've talked to uh, the CEO of Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream and CEO of Dan and Yogurt. I mean, all these people that I would never have otherwise had the opportunity to talk to if it wasn't for, you know, hey, yeah, you need to talk to this guy. And what I found is, you know, no matter how huge these guys are in the industry, like they're 100% happy to talk to you. You know, if they see that you want, you know, to better yourself, you want to improve, you want to do all these things here, you know, they are, they will give you so much time. Uh, at least that was my experience. And so uh, going through the 50 cups of coffee process brought me from literally knowing nothing to get, uh, you know, to we became an S-corp. Uh, you know, developing uh, the business plan uh, just in case we needed investors for later down the road, doing, you know, um, competitive analysis on, you know, who our main competitors were and figuring all that type of stuff out to pricing, to developing our our curriculum and and all that. From beginning to end, we figured all that stuff out. You know, I had obviously um, what I had in mind, who we were going to become, but getting there is a whole completely different story. And so, yeah, absolutely. Through the 50 cups of coffee, through the help of the honor foundation, um, I was able to, to get to where we are now. So that's how that happened really. You made, so I think that's a great place to start out. 50 cups of coffee is a powerful, uh, art. It's an article. Wasn't it an article that somebody yeah. wrote? Isn't yeah. that how it started? It so a book. It, it became a book. I think, is that what happened? I think so. Something it, like that. Yeah. It was, a. It seems on once you hear it, it seems like simple advice. Yeah, but it, it never occurred to me ever to think about doing that um, yeah. prior to do, prior to, and you you hit on something that I like. Whenever I get to talking about cups of coffee with anybody, because uh, I always talk when I'm talking to somebody. I, I don't say it as much as I should on the show, but whenever I'm talking to somebody who's getting out, I always bring this up because it was such an amazing life changing tool yeah. that I still use to this day. Yeah, uh, all the time, weekly, at least. Um, is and, and you said it was the the reception of that request is always positive. I've yeah. never had a negative uh, response. Like, right. what are you kidding me? You yeah. want to have coffee with me? Do you know who I am? It's, yeah, it's, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah, people, people, uh, they become real people real quick. Yeah, yeah it's like, great. Oh, okay, you're a normal dude. I, yeah, sweet. Yeah. I think you. I think from being in what you kind of hear a lot when you're in the military, that the one that shocked me was that the willingness of people to help you out. Like yeah. and, and if you like I said, if you show that interest, like so many people when they say, Hey, yeah, I'll I'll talk to you, but let's sit down and let's, let's go through your, what you're trying to do and all that. I think that was one of the biggest shocks and I think for me that's what it was. And I think kinda gave me that confidence. I was like, you know what? Like I can do this. Um if I, if I these people the information they're passing to me was tremendous. Yeah. 
And also in the military, we have like our chain of command that is very much, you know, something that's in place. Like you do not jump the chain to go talk to somebody. Yeah. Um, you you kind of did just, when you saw to the CEO of Ben and Jerry's. And absolutely. Dan and <laughs> just, yeah, just said, hey, man, this is me. So that's, that's also something that, that is hard for us to kind of wrap our heads around. But, yeah, you just go straight up to the CEO because guess what? I mean, what, what a lot of people in the military don't realize is our strengths in leadership are just huge compared to most people because while, you know, especially on the enlisted side, while everybody else is going through calculus and all in, you know, in these really deep classes in history and stuff like that, we're scrubbing toilets. And then when we're done scrubbing toilets and we have one day we can get one person under us and then we can tell them to scrub the toilets and stuff like that. So we are raised in leadership. And so when a CEO hears in my specific case, that somebody wanted to talk to him about leadership in the military. He was like, please, God, clear my calendar. I need to talk to this guy, which, again, from our perspective, we're like, what? You want to talk to me, really? Uh, and so, yeah, it's just a different way of thinking about it for sure. I'm oh, sorry. I was going to say, one thing I was surprised about was that when you tell someone like, your story, for our, like in our case where we came from and all that, they just want to talk to you, and it's about you. Yeah. To learn, like, wow, this is that's just crazy, like what you've done, like you being a SEAL, us being enablers for you know for the SEAL teams. Like people are just like, you were able to do that, like that's crazy. And they were just, and then for us, we're like, oh yeah, it's it our job. <laughs> you yeah. Know? But in their in their mind, it was like that's tremendous. You know? Right. So you, you always have something to share, which I think is what you you're very surprised about how much people actually are interested in hearing your story as well. It opens the door, right? So, like, I remember uh, now, I remember specifically one day at the Honor Foundation, one of our meetings, somebody said, uh, what did they say? They said, I, I know I'm not going to be able to quote it, but it was something like this. Are you sure that the CEO of this company really wants to talk to me? I'm just a SEAL. And yeah. well, then yeah, somebody, that, yeah. you remember this? Yep. And, uh, and then, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a SEAL. I'm quoting somebody from the Honor Foundation. Uh, me, me and Mike were enablers, right? So we just were support. Uh, but this is what somebody else said. And not that we were just support. That would go against everything I'm saying right now. <laughs> but then, then somebody, uh, one of the coaches or one of the, it might have been like uh, Phil or somebody gets up and goes, are you kidding, kidding me? Yeah. You're, <laughs> not, you're not just anything. Yeah. Like yeah. we want it. We it's our honor to talk to you. Yeah, I think not was, your yeah. honor to talk to us. I think the CEO of a company had said that. And they yeah. were just like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. We want right. to talk to you. We want to learn about what you're able to provide for us. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, it's it's not the whole SEAL thing. It's the fact that we're in the military. You know what I mean? And we and we have this different experience, uh, These especially going downrange and, and having those those types of, you know, things kind of go on in our lives and have an effect on, you know, who we are as people. So, yeah, it's absolutely not like, hey, just because you're a SEAL, it's just like, hey, you know, this is what I did. I mean, that's, that's stuff that's absolutely valuable information for them to, to learn about and to poss potentially, you know, implement into how they do business, you know, in their corporations. And that's a great point, too, about the, uh, what you were saying about leading from the beginning, right? So yeah. the first thing you learn in the military and boot camp is, is uh, you get broken down, right? And then they build you back up because you have to learn you're part of a team. So the very first thing you learn is teamwork. Then let's say you come in as an E1 in the Navy, right? You are technically everyone's subordinate, but there's ways to lead at that level too because you could be like naturally fall into the role of leader of everyone else at your level. 
But then as soon as you become uh, even an E3, which is, you know, you still basically don't even have a, a name for that yet. Uh, it'd be like a private in the Army or the Marines or a seaman in the Navy. You start to maybe have a couple people that work for you, and then you become an E4, E5. You know, you go on and on as high as you go. So you have that, that leadership. You learn it. You might not even realize it. You might have accidentally learned how to be an incredible leader, and you don't realize that about yourself. If you got out of the military as an E5, you might have leadership skills that dwarf that of you know somebody who's acting as a manager or uh, even a C-suite executive of another company, a smaller company. Absolutely right. And the other thing, so Diego, I don't know if you've uh, heard me say this, but uh, our, our th- I'm making this the hashtag of the show, is another soft skill that all veterans have is trained to train. Mm-hmm. So somebody over dinner told me that. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, man. I don't know what I'm good at. He goes, it doesn't matter what you're good at. You're trained to train. You're good at learning. You're an yeah. expert at learning. You're a master of mastering things. And nobody except for veterans have this kind of like, uh, here's some new equipment. You're going to use this tomorrow. Your life depends on it. Yeah. You know? And that is something that happens all the time. You're like, okay, I have to learn how to use this thing. I have to figure it out. I have yeah. to find a process that makes me learn how to do this new thing. And it's probably why you're succeeding as an entrepreneur and probably why a lot of veterans succeed at whatever their, their next journey is. And Mike, you as well, you have a company, you have a, uh, you do creative stuff and you're succeeding at that as well. And I'm trying to, you know, tread water over here myself and do be as successful as I can. <laughs> Gracefully drowning, guys. Yeah. Um, as long as you look cool doing it, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Rule, rule number one, yeah. look cool doing it. Uh, okay. So cups of coffee, that's a great one. What is, uh, what's one of the other things that you got? Well, I mean, literally everything that I got came from my cups of coffee. You know what I mean? Everything I, you know, I was able to, for example, um, you know, you know, if the people who are listening to this are, are in the military, you know, you, you, we write our evals and we write our fit reps and that kind of thing. And if you could just think back to the first time you wrote your eval and you handed it in to your chief, uh, most likely what happened was he, you know, yelled at you for about an hour and told you how everything was jacked up and how you needed to redo it. And you're sitting there in front of the computer with your head in your hands and figuring out, you know, how, how I'm going to make this guy look awesome. Um, that's exactly what happened to me with my business plan. Um, I sat down with some of those folks that I had mentioned in the past and said, hey, here's my business plan. And it was 38 pages long. And uh, I had all this stuff going on. And, and they were absolutely gracious. And they were patient. And they listened to me brief the entire thing. And... Uh, and they're like, hey, you know, appreciate your time. Um, yeah, that was awful. <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, then here we go again. You know what I mean? Like, you, you know, you got you to stand by to get your teeth kicked in. You know, it's just part of earning your wings there. And uh, I was like, all right, what's the deal? And, and, I mean, these are just incredible, incredible people. And they just sat down. You know, this doesn't need to be in there. I don't care about this. You know, you barely talked about this. You know, that's stuff that I'm really going to need to know. I mean, if I want to, for example, if I want to invest in your company, you know, I need to see this from beginning. Where's your charts at? Where's your data? Where's all your, you know, and now I'm like going back and I feel like I'm not even at square one yet, you know, and then going through the process of, you know, making the corrections and making the additions and doing a lot of research and all that, you know, that, that was a big thing, um, for sure. And, and most of the time business plans are done for, you know, for this, for the, the purpose of getting investors and all that. And I didn't necessarily want that, but it really helped put everything into perspective. It helped frame out the process of where I was, how I was going to, you know, you know, Tony Robbins says, if you don't have, you know, an exit plan, then you don't have a business, uh, you know, so helping create an exit plan, you know, was I going to sell this? What, you know, what, you know, were we going to go to the stock exchange and all that stuff? 
so <clears throat> that was that was definitely like a huge a huge um, plus and you know you have to learn it at lightning speed if you want to get anything done so that's kind of that's kind of how that went down so yeah pretty funny and yeah you said it dude you just said it learn it at lightning speed right you got to keep up with what you're doing and that's yeah. one of the skills that you yeah, a lot of people don't even realize that how good they are at that compared to other people. Have you, so you kind of, uh, I don't, I don't want to assume this. I'll, I'll ask you your team, uh, that you work with now, are they all probably mostly veterans? All of them are. Yeah. All of them are. Yeah. Um, every, everyone so far, um, is, um, either a seal or an able enabler like you guys. Um, and then we also have uh, the only other person who's not is my sister. She's uh, we do a lot in human analytics, so we so we uh, try to understand how people perform in in as leaders, as members of a team, and and how they are communicating. So we take data on that, so we can present it back to them and all this stuff. But uh, but yeah, absolutely. All all the instructors, though, uh, my sister does, is not involved in instruction in any way. But all the instructors are are all former seals or I mean, one of our guys, uh, Tacky W. Actually, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, do you, so you know these guys. Uh, have you hired anybody that you've had to do? In, have you interviewed anybody or do you know, like, do you know these guys? Do you pull them? Do you shoot out an email like you're recruiting? Uh, or how does that go? Have you hired anybody that you've had to interview? I interview everybody, even the guys that I know. Um, even the guys that I work with, um, you know, in platoons and that kind of thing. Because it's just like having a cup of coffee. It, it, is, a, it is a different conversation. Uh, than you might have ever had with somebody who's at a bar or maybe you've been on an op with them or whatever, and you, you kind of know them inside and out. But this is a little bit different because we're not talking about other team guys. We're talking about people who literally sit at computers all day and program. Um, they may not necessarily be type A's. So I need to know. all. So all of my instructors, all of them, are the right fit for us, and they have to be. And, and that is, you know, they're inspirational and motivational, and they've got a deep – uh, sense and understanding of emotional intelligence, um, which at the end of the day, when you boil everything down, is is they've got a strong level of empathy for other people's. Like, where are you coming from? Like, okay, I understand that you made that mistake, and why did you make that mistake? Or I understand that you that that everyone else is putting this work into this, you know, event or whatever, and you're not. Why is that? And helping them get past those barriers. And so, these are very very important things that need to come out in the interview process. Like, hey, you know, we're not in the business of finding the next Navy SEAL. We're not in the business of screening for SEALs. We are just trying to help people, you know, come to an understanding of where their limits are, you know, why those limits are in place and helping them push back those if that's what they're designed or push through those if that's what they're designed to do. And also, you know, we just we just need to get a deeper understanding and, and help these guys because we do put people through stress and, and it's stress that they can handle. Um, but when they're not performing up to their standards, you know, we help them understand why, um, and what that takes, because everybody has a different communication style for sure. You know, um, some people like to be yelled at, it helps motivate them. And some people, if you yell at them, they'll never talk to you again, because who are you to yell at me? You know, so the instructors in the Trident approach have to be keenly aware of where they are with each individual person, uh, because you can lose somebody in a second. Um, if you approach them the wrong way and we can't afford, we don't have enough time to, to, to lose people. We have to 
we have to earn their trust really quickly and we have to work hard to maintain that trust throughout the duration of our relationship or we've lost. So, um, yeah, absolutely. There's a, there are things that come up in a job interview um, that I have with my guys that have never, ever come up, even if I've known them for 10 or 15 years. Um, one of our guys have known them for 15 years now. And, uh, um, yeah, it's just a different animal altogether for sure. I want to, so you, you have given me a question here that I have. Um, how d- you go out to a group of people. Mm-hmm. How do you initially get them to understand that you're there to help them and that the lessons that you have to teach are valuable? So it's, a, it, it's an upfront and frank conversation of mentioning that word for word, really, um, and saying, you know, so generally the conversation goes like, hey, listen, you know, all of our, our, our course is entirely built upon trust. The sooner you guys, you know, develop trust in us, and so you start to take on board the lessons that we have to share with you, the more you're going to get out of the course. The more you resist us, the less you're going to get out of it, and that's fine. I mean, you know, you, you know, trust takes a long time to really, really establish. So some of it is really kind of, you know, just I'm just hoping you guys are going to trust us. Um, but, you know, change doesn't happen overnight for sure. Um, and so our program is designed for us to have, you know, 12 total days of contact with these people um, over the span of a year. Uh, so, um, you know, in the best case scenario. So, um for sure, people people take to each other at different speeds. People understand new information and lessons learned at different speeds. All of these things are, you know, people are different and they're complicated, um, which is totally great. You know, that's what I love about relationships. You know what I mean? Everyone's different. Everything is different. And so we just, we understand that going in and we do our best to set ex- manage expectations up front so they understand that as well. And, you know, if if we go three days with them, you know, and they don't quite trust us yet, um, you know, that's just something that we have to overcome. Um, but the goal is for us to, to make sure that they understand as quickly as possible that we only have their best intentions at heart. Like, none of this is for ourselves. It is all, with the reason why the Trident Approach exists is so that they can be happy at work, so that they can be, you know, working better together amongst each other, you know, and then we're gone. I mean, we're always around for sure for them to say, Hey, you know, I've got this, you know, scenario that happened, you know, how would you manage this or how would you deal with it or whatever? I mean, we're always there for that for sure. But, you know, it's up to them, you know, at the end of the day to take these, these lessons on it. And you, and you really can't do that without them trusting us. And so, yeah, it's, it is definitely something that we have to manage and and address right up front. You would think, well, I'm sure that, the resume that you bring to the table uh, has a lot to do with that, but it's not everything. Like we were just talking about, like the cups of coffee, right? So like people or job interviews, right? People will talk to you. They will sit down with you. They will listen to what you have to say, but you have to then show up and provide what they are expecting you to, or else they'll start to realize like, oh, you know, there's not a lot of value added here. Uh, you have to, you know, talk the talk and walk the walk. And I think that's, uh, that's key to, to building that trust, right? And, and coming through on those cups of coffee and job interviews and all that, like people will give you that, that opportunity and then you, you need to mean it when you get there. And, and I, and what you said about emotional intelligence, uh, yeah, what you said about emotional intelligence, I don't, you know, I'm sure you didn't even realize, uh, or, or the power of the word empathy when you used it, right. Uh, or maybe you do, and that's why you chose to use the word. Uh, but I read something a long time ago and I've said this on the show before I read that 
the two most valuable and powerful uh, emotional intelligence traits you can bring to the table are empathy and sincerity. And if you can talk to somebody with empathy and sincerity, you'll get further with them and you'll break through and, and communicate and get to understand that person and they'll understand you better than any other way. And it's, I've used that uh, advice my whole life and it's always rang true. Empathy and sincerity are huge. People will be able to tell if you don't mean it and they'll be able to tell if you're faking that you care, you know? Yeah, that's, that, that's absolutely true. And that, that's kind of like what you have in your toolbox that hopefully you're bringing to the table. But the, at the end of the day, you know, communication is a two-way street. You can be doing everything, you know, quote-unquote, right. Um, but if they're not ready to hear you, if they're not capable of listening to you for what, I mean, who knows? Uh, you know, I don't even know what happened to both you guys today. Maybe you guys got a parking ticket. Maybe you guys got a speeding ticket or whatever, and we're sitting here having this conversation and you're watching my mouth move, but, you know, your mind is elsewhere. Uh, you know, people have lives. Um, and people have, like, serious, serious things that happen, you know, at, at the drop. Like, you don't, the most unexpected times. Um, so, for sure, you need to start, as a communicator or as a teacher, uh, you need to start with empathy and sincerity. But also understand that the people you're talking to, you have no idea where they're at for for the beginning, you know, you, you just don't know if you're connecting with them and they could be nodding their head and yeah, even repeating some of the words you're saying, but their, their minds and their hearts can be in other places. Um, but you're absolutely right. You, you, you know, you're, you're beyond, you know, in a negative space if you're not at least starting with those two for sure. You definitely, I think one of the most important things, especially being an entrepreneur and if your business is, is people facing is, is emotional intelligence. And it's, it's something that, if there's anyone out here list, they're listening and they're not really quite sure what that is, I highly, highly recommend you buy books about it, look look it up because it's very, very, it's, it will benefit you in the long run, especially if your business is, is forward-facing toward people. Mm-hmm. So I remember when we were in class, um, we all had our scores for emotional intelligence. I don't know yeah. you guys remember this. And like, I think like 95% of us have like low empathy <laughs> and like the, the class was revolted against the instructor. Yeah. It was just like, it was just nuts. You're like, oh my gosh, this is not going to go so well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. It was, uh, people, yeah, people came up real low on the empathy. It was yeah. like, we don't care if you're sad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you guys can't do that. And like, but I also, I thought it was very interesting too, because I honestly think that, uh, people in the military and I would say I work with you guys. I think our empathy is very, very high. I think that how we show empathy, though, is very, very different because we're used to people who are around us that, like, they have their shit together no matter what. And even if they are going through something, we we know that they can handle it. But once we kind of see them getting past that barrier that they might be able to handle that, we always will step in. We always have their back. We're always there for them to support them. I think that it's just like a... It's like with doctors, too. They see so much things... They see things that... Most people have not seen their regular lives that their level of empathy is also considered low, but I think a, a way, as a way it's actually pretty high than what you're actually looking at too. So I think it's a very interesting subject to talk about. It is. We should get uh, somebody from that program on here and talk a whole episode about emotional intelligence because um, it is a super valuable skill. Uh, Diego, your so the Trident approach. Um, let's before I before we go any further, uh, and we've been going for a little while now. What is the, where can people find you? Uh, so we're at the tridentapproach.com. 
Um, we're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, although I don't, I don't typically put us out there that much, um, on those, although, you know, it wouldn't hurt us for me to do so, but we're mostly out on, on LinkedIn. I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, we're, we're constantly updating our website. Uh, so yeah, you can, you can take a look at what we're doing. Uh, you can, you know, you can schedule classes and that kind of stuff, uh, straight through our website. LinkedIn. LinkedIn really feels like a good arena for you with what you're doing. Uh, have you had a lot of or any experience reaching out to people, kind of cold calling on LinkedIn? Yeah, in fact, that's that's our that's the majority of our marketing is is straight through. So you, you've got your uh, sales navigator, you know, uh, type of account within LinkedIn, and then uh, so it's like a, an extra subscription that you pay for, and then it gives you all kinds of access to like huge databases. And so for us, uh, because we do uh, talk about leadership and cultural alignment and that kind of thing, is, is, is we need to have conversations from people right at the top. Uh, just because somebody's like a, a, a manager of a department or whatever, um, you know, because we may resonate with them doesn't necessarily mean that, that you know, we're going to be in line with, you know, what ultimately what the leadership is, is wanting to do. So we, we reach directly out to CEOs and VPs of HR and that type of thing say, Hey, this is us. This is, this is, uh, what we do. You know, if you guys are in, in need of this and, and one of, one of the, uh, one of the most common responses we get like, Hey, we're already culturally aligned. We're all this. And, uh, and you know, my response to that is always like, there is no finish line. You know, it's something you need to water like a tree. You know, um, you, you can be so, awesome you know everyone can be happy one month but it's something you know it's like what have you done for me lately you know things have a tendency to turn on a dime like i said people have these lives um you know really terrible things can happen and how attuned are you to these changes so we so our program is not only designed to help you you know build and establish these things but it's also there to maintain to make sure that the camaraderie is still going on uh to make sure that uh you know, that people do understand the direction and the mission and the values and the principles of your, of your company. Um, so yeah, for sure. So LinkedIn is a huge, huge, um, avenue for us to, to market through. I love what you just said so much. There is no finish line. I, dude, that's a great quote right there. I hope everyone hears that. Uh, cause when it comes to team building and organization, uh, development and the way that your people kind of connect, you're right. It sh- it, there is no, like, we've made it, you know? It can always get better, and that's why we're always improving our teams in the military and improving our foxhole, right? So that's your, your office. That's where, you, that's where you get business done. Yeah. Uh, that's, the, that's the war room, you know? Yeah. So you should always be developing and improving relationships within there, and your whole, your whole kind of environment it should always be an upward trend. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a uh, I just heard the word for it. It's a... It's it's ever increasing upwards. Yeah, you know, there's no there should be no plateau. There should be no idea that you can plateau at any point. I think that's amazing. I think that's great. If uh, if I was a and oh and you're, you know here's the other thing, I have to tell people that I know who are getting out that LinkedIn is a real website. Like mm. people, do, you know what I'm saying? People don't yeah. get it. Uh, they don't get that there's value added in LinkedIn. But I can tell you right now, I get hit up pretty often by recruiters on LinkedIn based yeah. on my page. And you are saying that you reach out to people on LinkedIn. I'm sure mm-hmm. people reach out to you, Mike. I'm sure you have the same experience. Lot, yeah. So if you're listening and you're someone who's considering getting out and you're thinking like LinkedIn, is LinkedIn a real website? Like, does that matter? It, it totally does. Am I right? Or is it? It's the professional 
it, it's the professionals version of Facebook is, is what it is. You know, you kind of have your, you, you have your narrative about you and your work experience and educational experience and that type of thing. Um, and it's, if, if you need to do anything in the realm of networking in your post-military life, LinkedIn is, is literally a must, you know, I don't have any stock in the stuff. I don't, I don't really care, but, but you need to know, I mean, especially in the SEAL teams, like it, it is so foreign for us to, to go out there and say, Hey, I was, you know, I was this or that or whatever. It, and even now it just sounds, it feels funny for me to even talk about. Um, so we are so, you know, not used to doing that, but you have to break through that and get used to just putting yourself out there and saying, Hey, you know, this is me. This is the value that I'm, that I'm, that I can bring to the, to your organization or whatever it is. Um, and, and ultimately at the end of the day is if it's there, if you're there to help, you know, um, there, there's a lot of really great stuff that, that can be done go, by going through there. But you got to break through that mentality of, of, hey, listen, I have no digital signature. I've got this and that. I mean, I understand where all that stuff comes from, but at some point you have to. That's part of the transitional process for sure. Because if you don't exist online, you don't exist right Anywhere. nowadays. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you're a business. Yeah. It's, I, you know, I struggle with it too. I, I like <clears throat> lately in the last couple months, I've been putting way more stuff on social media and trying to have more of a presence myself because we create this content. I think this content is really awesome and I want to share with as many people as possible. But part of that is me going out there and putting myself online and it's a little uncomfortable. Part of it is, yeah. does anyone care what I have to say? And the other part is, am I supposed to be doing this? Is this okay to do? Yeah. Um, but you have to kind of, I've been working on getting over that and kind of being more present on that stuff. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it takes practice like anything else. And I'm I'm one who always talks about when it comes to that trained to train, we all know how important rehearsals are, right? Yeah. So you rehearse, you rehearse, you do it over. Even if it's something simple, like how are you going to take your uh, seatbelt off in a car? Well, if you're all kitted up and you've never taken your seatbelt off in a car, that's going to get caught up on something, right? Yeah. And then you're stuck in a car. So there's like a way to take your seatbelt off. Somebody showed me like, oh, you want to know the, the, the real way to take off a seatbelt? And, you know, you go underneath the chest part and reach over and pull it off like this and it comes off. You don't get it snagged in anything. And if you just get in the car, kit it up, first time, you didn't practice that, and then you go to take your seatbelt off, and then you get hung up, and now yeah. you're screwed, yeah. right? It's, it's, that's just like a, a very like, uh, military example of how you should be rehearsing even the simplest things, especially when you get into business. You do, you do the rehearsals, you practice, and, at le- and you, know, you get an infinite amount of mental rehearsals. Yeah. You can practice in your head as many times as you want. Those are free. Yeah. Uh, so take advantage and, and, and don't think that anything is going to go the way you just assume it's going to go. It never does. Yeah. You should rehearse everything. Yeah, I think yeah. that, that comes from our training as well. Yeah, for sure. If, uh, if I'm a business and I call you at the Trident approach and I say, hey, man, I'm interested in what you guys are doing. Tell me about the program. What would you say? So um, everything we do um, is customizable, but it's not about us. So, you know, what works for me may not necessarily work for your organization. So the first thing that we do is um, we, we get a deep understanding of what their culture is. You know, what are their values? What are their principles? Um, and then we talk to them about what it is that we actually provide. And the reason why that's important is because, um, you know, if, if there's just no parallel um, between, you know, who we are and what we do and the company that's calling us, there's no real value for them to work with us. Um, because, you know, we can, we can get people in a lot of trouble if they go back to work on Monday starting to do all this Trident Approach stuff. And uh, they're like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I just learned this at the Trident. So we need to make sure that, 
that um, that we are at least in alignment, that there are some similarities in direction where we're at. And once we figure out that, yeah, we should be talking to each other, we can add value uh, with this with this relationship, then we move forward. And, and, you know, essentially what I do is I just ask them, you know, what is, you know, what is a perfect case scenario look like for you once training is done? And then we work backwards, you know, here's, here's how we create this picture that you're looking for. Um, and then oftentimes, you know, I'll find, you know, or identify, you know, maybe some gaps into what they're looking for in, in some of the end state pieces. And so I'll add those in if necessary. And then, like I said, yeah, we'll, we'll work back. Everyone always needs to work on, uh, on communication. Everyone always needs to work on leadership and team building. In fact, I'll say that, that um, our five tenants, like the, the five items that we work every event around, number one is cultural alignment. Um, and I can, you know, these are things that I can talk about at length for, but, uh, but number two is building trust. Uh, number three is communication. Number four is teamwork. And number five is leadership. Everything we do um, is somehow related to those five items. Because I think that once you uh, sort of mastered the, the curriculum that we've got set up for the, in those areas, then, I mean, you're going to be unstoppable. I mean, that's just the bottom line because, I mean, people leave our organization with an intensely deep understanding of the communications of the uh, communication styles and preferences of the people that they work with every day like they never have before. And the same is true for their strengths and the same is true for their, you know, how they how they lead other how they lead each other. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are really kind of the 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 tenets that we that we you know, make sure that these people have a really deep understanding with while we're on the phone, while we're creating their, their specific and, uh, and customized program. Um, cause that's what we do. Everything we do is customized. Every program we've run so, so far has been different than the one previous. And that's because everyone has a little bit different requirements and expectations than, than the next person. So I looking at your website, right? I've been all over your, all over your website in the last, uh, since we met last week. Okay. Um, so looking at your website, if if I was uh, getting ready to go through as a, a, a customer, like let's say I was at an organization and I'm not the senior leader, but I'm just somewhere, I fall in that org chart somewhere middle level, let's say. I'm like, dude, are we doing a helicopter insert rescue mission? <laughs> uh, looking at your web, can you tell me a little bit about like what's the, what's like when you get in the down and dirty phase four of your training, yeah. the culmination, what, what do people have to look forward to? Well, okay, so I'll, I'll just say, so we, we have four phases um, to, to our program. Um, each of the phases, um, there's always cultural alignment and building trust um, in there. The first phase is communication. So that's where you learn how you like to communicate and how you like to be communicated to. And the same for the people that you work with. Uh, the second phase is uh, basically your, how you work together as a team. So teamwork. What are your strengths and how do those strengths apply to, you know, accomplishing any mission that you might have at work? And then the third one is emotional intelligence and we work with leadership. Once you've done all three of those um, phases, you have the option to come back and do the fourth phase, which is basically the SEAL experience. And so what we do is you have, um, we have three options where you can do um, basically close quarters combat uh, in an Afghani village that we have set up here in San Diego uh, through strategic operations. And then, uh, or you can do helicopter operations uh, where you're going to uh, uh, rescue a hostage, 
or you can do skydiving military, well, not military freefall, but basically you, you, you jump tandem with a, with a seal and you go uh, rescue a down pilot. Um, but so that, that phase, that fourth phase happens in two different ways. One, you can not do any of our team building at all. And you just want to have a good time and shoot some guns and have, or in with paint bullets and have people shooting at you with paint and explosions and RPGs and, and, you know, walking down the streets of Afghanistan, you know, you can do all that. Um, and it, and it really is a good time. And there's plenty of time for beer afterwards. But, um, when you've gone through all three of our initial phases, then much more is expected of you. We, we have you, you know, plan the missions, you know, execute the missions, all leveraging all the lessons learned that you received throughout the duration of our program. And, and the reason why we do that is no one knows how to complete a SEAL mission unless you're a SEAL or an enabler, you know. So these people are absolutely outside of their comfort zone, which is great because now they are absolutely forced to lean on the skills that we've taught them all the way through. And it helps them understand that these things are transferable. You don't need, you know, these things only don't just apply to, you know, tech or they don't just apply to construction and or even being a SEAL, you know, cultural alignment, teamwork, communication, leadership, and uh, those things, they apply across the board. So it's just a really fun way to bring those lessons learned to bear. And so where they're the only things that you have to depend on, it really kind of solidifies the message and really brings it home. It sounds awesome. And it's what, what I'm over here, like, if you're, if you're able to see me, I'm over here, like, smiling, like, you know, shaking <laughs> my head, like, that sounds so badass. And it is, right? But, but you know, we've, we've done training like that and i know how much goes into planning it so what i'm really thinking is like wow that's awesome that you coordinated this right it isn't it's a lot of work you had to find locations you had to find equipment you had to find instructors you had to make it safe you had to make it uh you had to find actors role players right so you had to do all these in pyrotechnics and all this stuff uh to coordinate jumps um this is a lot of this is no joke this is a lot of work and it's awesome that you have done it like it's incredible dude it's really great we're 100% serious about what we do. It's um, Although the participants may feel at times that, that, that there is fun and games going on, there is absolutely a lot of thought and uh, curriculum development and, and study behind what we have finally, you know, released to the general public. There, there is thousands of hours of, uh, of like you said, prepar- preparation and development and, you know, relationship building and networking and, all of that stuff behind this. This is this is this is not a little thing. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, or we didn't start the Trident approach f- for fun. You know, we really want to make a super positive impact on the lives of other people, no doubt. And so we have to take it with with that grain of sincerity for sure. One of my, uh, we're getting here into our one hour point. So usually, just when we start thinking about uh, closing thoughts, um, and. I feel like we've only scratched the surface, so I'd love to talk to you, sit down and talk to you in this environment again. Uh, yeah, not a problem. What What is, um, what's the biggest dream you have for the Trident approach? Like, what is your, uh, like, the best end state, you know, five years down the road? Where, where do you see it if, like, all your dreams came true? My ultimate dream is is our vision, and that is to change the face of the corporate world from me first to the team first mentality plain and simple. I understand what that means. You know, I understand how, you know, kind of a big idea, you know, you're not going to do that and all that. 
but I don't care. That's what I want to create. I want to create a nation of businesses that understand that this is the way to do things, is to build mutually supportive and trusting environments to allow people to just crush in their own excellence. That's the deal. It's not about self-serving stuff so I can you know, make sure I got mine. So that is my ultimate dream, to have people really understand that everyone has a genius and here's how I tap into it and here's how I support them. That's, that's, what, that's a perfect case scenario for us. I love that. It, it's right in line with something that I truly believe, which is if you really want to serve yourself, do it by helping others. Yeah. Because if you direct your efforts to improving the people around you, it, comes, it rewards you. Yeah. You benefit from it as well. Yeah. And then so does your team, right? So it's that whole, uh, you know, mission team self order of operations where you, you should always land at the bottom of your interests, you know, yeah. and uh, like, you know, team year, personal year, yeah. personal stuff, right? Yeah. So it just, it just goes in that order. And I think that's one of the most valuable things we can pass on as veterans when we go into a business is, is that uh, priority stacking, right? Yeah. And making sure people understand that the way that we succeed together is by focusing our efforts at, at, into one place, and it's not inward; it's outward yeah. towards our our mutual goal, right? Uh, oh yeah, that sounds awesome. So again, for people who are listening, the website is the tridentapproach.com. dot com, and if they uh, if they if somebody reaches out, they they find you at the other end of that email, right? Yeah, my email is on there. It's Diego at the tridentapproach dot com, and uh, yeah, we just start the conversation and figure out the best way to move ahead. If, uh, what do you want to pass on to people who are listening about anything, man, about like, uh, being retired and how great that is or a career in the military and how rewarding that was or starting a business, you know, uh, when, when it feels difficult or like when all these hurdles come up about like, uh, regulation and law and paperwork and how, how you persevere through all those things when being a small business operator feels very difficult and you're, you're not a small business. Like I, I was just thinking in my head, like there's not really any small business because every business is a big deal. You know? right. But when you're starting out and you have a, a team of maybe a dozen people, would you say? Yeah, so I have, a, yes. Yeah, so it's, that's a lot of work. That, there's nothing small about that. So right. uh, I don't like the term small business. Uh, um, I apologize for using it. So oh, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> it doesn't bother me at all. So, yeah, if you had uh, thoughts, lessons learned, uh, life advice to pass down. I would say if if you were to sort of read, you know, for the first time where I am today and, and all that, you, you, you might think, wow, this, that must be cool. I could never do that. Um, and, and I say that the reason why I say that is is because it's important to realize that I failed almost every step of the way. I failed in literally everything I tried to do. I, I didn't make it through Buds the first time. You know, I didn't even pass the ASVAB to make it into to to even try out to be a SEAL the first time. I mean, almost everything that I've done, I've had to do it once or twice. I got fired when I was on the teams. You know, there's like so many things. And so the only thing that I, w- that I would say if I was going to pass on anything to you guys is if you get your teeth kicked in, like, all right, that's cool. You know, just keep going. Um, and, you know, you learn along the way. Not everyone has had like this perfect stellar, you know, whatever career. Um, and it doesn't matter if you do or you don't do. The only thing that does matter is you can either quit or, or you just keep going. 
Um, and, and trust me, when you keep going, no, no matter how hard it is in the beginning, you know, when you kind of reach each respective, you know, mile marker or respective finish line, I mean, it's absolutely worth it. That's what makes life, you know, awesome. And, and just to be a part of that. So don't give up, don't quit, whether it's entrepreneurship or you want to be a Navy diver or you want to be a pilot, like it doesn't matter. Just keep going and you'll get there. It's beautiful, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so your back, your background coming into the teams and everything, it, it uh, took a couple tries. Absolutely, yeah. How much time do we have? Because this is a long one. <laughs> <laughs> go, go, go ahead, go ahead. Yes, go ahead, man. I was going to say, I was going to say, knowing Diego, I was like, his story to get the teams is pretty crazy in itself. So it's like, that's like, that's a whole conversation. I think should be shared too. It's awesome. Yeah, that's a it, it's a long one. Um, you know, just a. Tell it. Tell you know, us. All right. So, um, I was I was lucky in high school to have uh, someone that I could lean on for mentorship, and that that person was uh, just happened to be uh, our high school nurse, and I used to go to her for for guidance and you know trying to figure out strategies of how to talk to my dad about stuff that he was going to find out about soon and all this stuff and. And one day, uh, I went into her office with my report card, and my report card it was, was uh, uh, I was failing almost every one of my classes. And so we were coming up with different strategies on how I'm going to bring this up to my dad. And, and in the conversation, she says, uh, you know, Jay, what, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, well, you know, like, honestly, I think I want to be a doctor. And she said, Diego, <laughs> this is, you, you got a 1.63 grade point average. Here, uh, she's like, um, and she's like, do you know what a paramedic is? And I was like, no. And she's like, well, they're, they're kind of like doctors, but instead of going to school for 10 years, uh, you know, you go to school for about 10 months and you save people's lives out on the street. And then, um, and then you bring them to the, to the hospital where the, the doctors then take, take over um, and I was like, wow, man, that sounds awesome. Let me, let me go check that out. And, uh, I started reading up on it and then, um, I happened to also right around that time, see the movie, uh, pretty woman. And I was like, look at this guy who's got all this money who gets to, you know, just jet out to San Francisco if he wants to, to go watch this thing. Like I want to live that life. And, and so I've made the connection. I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start my own ambulance company and, uh, you know, and I'm going to be a paramedic and it's going to be awesome. And, uh, and so that was my direction. That was everything. I, you know, I took a CPR class and I was going to be an EMT as soon as I turned 18 and all that stuff. And then, uh, so that was my junior year. Um, the summer break between junior and senior year, um, my friend and I, we had this thing where every Friday we would go rent movies and, uh, we happened to rent the movie Navy SEALs and I'm watching this thing and I'm just freaking out. I mean, these guys are jumping out of planes, they're scuba diving, they're like going after bad guys, they're shooting guns and driving fast and all this stuff. And I'm like, what is this? And then about halfway through the movie, I realized that there was a paramedic on their team. And I'm like, that's it, dude. I'm going to be a Navy <laughs> SEAL. And that's it. So, um, you know, um, so I go to the recruiters and they say, um, you know, all right, cool, no problem. Uh, if you want to be a SEAL, you've got to get uh, a source rating that they accept because this is before 2006, obviously. So, you know, then you had, I think they had like one of 15 jobs in the yeah. Navy. You could be like a radio man, an operations specialist, hospital corpsman and all that. So I'm like, yeah, I want to be a hospital corpsman and do this. Okay, so you got to take the ASVAB. Um, and what I thought was, okay, you need this, you needed the score, whatever it was, to be 
a SEAL, um, and also to go to, to core school. So I, I, I took the ASVAB. And for the people who don't know what an ASVAB is, it's basically like a, a placement test uh, for people joining the military. It gives you and the military an idea of, of where you might excel at. So if you're mechanically inclined, if you, you know, if you're really strong at, you know, mathematics or whatever it is, it, it just helps you, you know, select maybe a job that you may not necessarily know to look for. So what I knew at the time was that there was this overall score that you had to get. And so I took the ASVAB and I actually got the score that I needed to be a corpsman and a SEAL. So I was happy. And so I went to boot camp in San Diego, which uh, sadly doesn't exist anymore. And then, uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, a week or two in, you know, I said, hey, who wants to be a SEAL? I said, well, you know, I raised my hand and I'm like, okay, you know, you need to go over here and you're going to take the screening test, which is where you, you know, you do your swim and your run and push-ups and all that stuff. And so I get to where they told me to go, and there was about 10 other guys there. And before everything starts, this guy standing there, uh, an EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal guy, who was administering the, the SEAL screening test, said, uh, who's Ugaldi? And I was like, oh, man. Like, so I raised my hand. I'm like, that's me. And they're like, yeah, like, yeah you can't be here. I'm like, what? What happened? He's like, well, you scored a 48 on mechanical comprehension. You need a 50. And mechanical comprehension is part of the ASVAB. It's, it's one of the sections of the test of the ASVAB. And it was then and right then and only then did I know that you needed certain scores in certain areas to make it, to, to, to be accepted. And, I, you know, I'm sure everyone listening is, has experienced this. At 18 years old, I was just told for the first time that my dream, the thing that I've been working, you know, 18 isn't very old, but, you know, in the year and a half that I've been trying to do this thing, it was all gone to me. And, I mean, talk, literally talk about being punched in the gut. Because I, you know, at least for me, I don't know if it's this way for everyone, I kind of thought it was over. Um, and so I kind of had to re regroup, and I was like, you know, what do I do? And he's like, well, looks like you're going to hospital corpsman school. Go to hospital corpsman school, and then you're going to go to a regular duty station. And when you go to the regular duty station, then, you know, you, you have to take some sort of class. And then when you take that class and you prove to the Navy that you took the class and you could then retake the ASVAB. Uh, so I went back to my, my boot camp company with my tail in between my legs and, and just, you know, it was crushed kind of. Um, so I ended up graduating boot camp. I went to core school. I graduated core school and then my first duty station was Oakland Naval Hospital. Uh, which also sadly no longer exists, and neither does the core <laughs> school in San Diego. So all this could be right. Uh, and uh, um, so I was, I, when I showed up, um, I, they assigned me to labor and delivery. So I was a, a labor and delivery medic for a little while. I was like, "Hey, listen, I'm only here. This is a pit stop. I'm going to be a SEAL." And they're like, "Okay." So I went through the whole process. I did the thing. I retook the ASVAB. I, you know, I, I scored well enough that time, and then uh, and then I left. Uh, the hospital and I was able to go to buds and I got, I got orders to go to buds. I show up and it just so happened. Uh, I'm telling you this is a long story. Um, <laughs> uh, so I just showed up and, um, uh, I showed up at a, at a specific time where they said, Hey, you have the option, uh, because the class class 198 is starting like next week. So you can either show up and just start training with them or you can go through the pre-training class of, for class 199. Um, and I was like, well, you know what, I'll, I'll do the, I'll do the pre-training, you know? Um, but the thing to, to keep in mind was, um, I was absolutely not 
mentally ready in a lot of different ways. I wasn't mature enough. Um, there was a whole lot of there was a whole lot of, of of shortcomings that I didn't realize that I had um, that existed within me. And uh, so what ended up happening was, you know, we did our first we did our first training evolution in uh, in in what we called PTRR at the time it was like the pre training phase. Like the you do everything you do in first phase. Um, uh, which is, you know, lifting the boats and the logs and, and all that stuff, but just the days don't count, you know, just mean nothing. Um, the only thing is that they're half days, and then so half of the day you're doing, like, BUDS-type training, um, just real quick. Um, BUDS stands for Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL Training. It's like the training everybody goes through if you want to be a SEAL, um, and then it's broken down into really four phases. The first phase, which doesn't count, we call that pre-training phase, and then there's the actual first phase, which is like the where, where they hammer you to see if you really want to be there. And then you have a second phase, which is the dive phase. And then the third and final phase, which is the land warfare phase, where you learn how to, you know, shoot guns and, and do all those kind of small unit tactics. Well, anyway, so I show up in the pre-training phase, and we do our first um, basically workout, which is we started doing these berm sprints um, up and down. They're about 15-foot tall soft sand berms. And uh, we're basically just doing iteration after iteration after iteration. We did that for, for you know, whatever, 20 minutes or something. Um, and I was doing pretty good. I was kind of hanging in there with the class and all that stuff. And as soon as I thought, they're like, okay, we're done. You know, we're going to go get something to drink and do it. Boom. We just went on like a, like a six-mile conditioning run. I was like, whoa. And immediately, and when I say immediately, I mean instantaneously, the entire class was 300 feet ahead. Like, I was, I was so behind. And I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on? And so the whole class is in front of me. I can see, you know, there's nothing but dust because all the sand, and then there's just me. And then there's, like, the, the white pickup truck with the instructor, and, and he gets on his, like, little intercom, which is, you know, hilarious because he's three feet away from me. He's like, why are you back here? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I got And I said, and I told you I was not ready to be here. I was like, I put it out too hard during the berm sprints. <laughs> it's just the dumbest answer ever, you know, that I mean? But it was just me. I'm just sitting here like, oh, my God. Like, I did not expect this again going back to my maturity because who doesn't expect to get their teeth kicked in in buds i'm like you know so they in buds they have this thing it's called a goon squad and uh the goon squad is like if you go on a conditioning run or whatever um at the end of the run if you've fallen back at all while everyone else is stretching out and, and drinking water and that kind of thing they take everyone who had fallen back and they put them through extra training. So you're doing fireman carries, you're doing bear crawls, you're doing all this stuff, and it's really hardcore. And it serves two purposes, either to tell you that, you know, you don't want to be there, um, or it makes you stronger so you're faster the next time so that you don't fall back the next time. Um, my problem was that I, I was just not ready to be there. Even though I passed a screening test, um, no matter, I was in every single goon squad we had. Um, and so... What ended up happening was very early on, um, absolutely, of course, every instructor hates you to begin with, but th every instructor for sure hated they resented me even being there. Um, and then, but easily half the class hated me too. They're like, what the heck is this guy doing? Um, but I, I, I will say that I, that I did have friends with about half the class. They're like, I, I just keep going. Um, well, so... I told you during, during pre-training, half the day is, is, is butts type workout. And then the other half of the day, what you do is you kind of do like menial labor. You know, you're standing watches, you're doing, you're doing whatever uh, stuff because they just want to make sure that, you know, your, your days are occupied, you know, you're not getting paid for nothing. 
And one of the things that you do uh, when you're in pre-training is you set up these big, huge green canvas tents that they use for Hell Week for the guys going through first phase. And these, these tents, they're GP tents, they're general purpose tents, but they fit like whatever, 60 people in them. So there's these huge things. Um, and so you set those up and you put the cots in there. So for the guys to sleep a couple hours during, during whole week four, and I remember very vividly turning to a guy who was standing next to me. I'm like, man, I can't wait till they're setting up the tents for our hell week. And, uh, and he laughed cause he's like, you know, <laughs> you're not going to make it through hell with you. Are you kidding me? So, um, anyway, it was what it was. Um, and then first phase started and, you know, the beatings didn't get any less intense. Like it was, you know, my, my reputation preceded me. The, the first phase instructors are different from the pre-training instructors. And the first day they're like, where'd you go? And I was like, Oh man, here it goes. And it was just hammer session from beginning to end. Um, but what I noticed was, um, you know, the days were going by and dudes were quitting, dudes were quitting, dudes were quitting. You know, I was still in every goon squad and guys were in the goon squads were getting smaller and smaller and smaller. But the lines of, you know, when you quit, you put your helmet on the ground and the line of helmets were, were just, but I was still there, you know, what I wasn't telling anybody was that I was slowly breaking. Like my legs were just like, you did not come here prepared. <laughs> so I don't know what makes you think that, you know, you can just do these, you know, eight mile conditioning runs in the soft sand, plus this, plus that, plus whatever. Um, but you know, to me, I just knew that I wasn't going to quit, so everything was going to be cool. Um, one day, it was, um, it was, we were going to start Hell Week that weekend, so I think it was Thursday. Um, Thursday before Hell Week, um, we had to do this thing, it's called the Beehive, and the Beehive is, is a really intense um, thing that everybody has to go through. Um, but what it is basically is everybody jumps in the pool, uh, with their, with their pants and boots and shirts on. And then you put your, you have your mask on and then you fill up your mask with water and you have to tread water with your hands out of the water. All the while the instructors are pushing the class together. So basically what you have is like a hundred people in the pool, just kicking and clawing at each other, not because they're trying to survive, but well, because they're trying to survive, but they're also at the same time trying not to kill anybody else. It's a very, the, the intensity of this thing and the stress is just as high as it can get. Um, and by the way, also, it was like one of the worst storms in like 100 years in, in Coronado. Like trees were being uprooted. <laughs> the streets were flooded. It was like 40 degrees outside. It was like 40 mile an hour winds. I mean, just like it was just torrential downpour and dudes were quitting like in droves and, uh, and whatever. So we're, we're, we're going through this whole thing. And we get out and we get out of the pool and it's the end of the, it's, it's the end of the beehive. And you're kind of looking around, you know, it's almost like after a big, long, arduous fight and you just look around and you see the guys, you know, you know, that are left standing and you're like, this is badass. And for the first time, one of the instructors comes down and he says, you guys, like you guys did it today. Hell week starts this weekend and I, I can promise you that it doesn't get any worse than this. If you guys made it through today, you guys can make it through hell week. So get out of here. Hey, whatever. And so we, it was the end of the day. So we had to run to dinner and I'm telling you all of us, like our chests were just like busting out of our shirts. We were just like, we're going to, we're going to be Navy SEALs. You know what I mean? Uh, well, all of us were just thinking this, you know, like this is going to be awesome because we knew we could do it. And so we're sitting down and we're just kind of reflecting on the day, talking about our little stories and our, our own unique experiences of what we had all just gone through together. And I get this tap on my shoulder and I'm like, Diego, 
I'm like, what's up? And you're like, well, uh, so there's this thing, it's called a Hell Week board. If you failed anything, you failed a time run, failed a time swim, if you failed underwater knot tying, if you failed anything, you got to go in front of this Hell Week board and they decide whether or not you're going to stay. And right there, my heart just dropped. And I was like, oh man, that's not cool. And they said, don't worry. If there's anybody in this class that's safe, it's you. Because you've been through so much. You know, you've come such a long way. You know, you've taken everything they've had to throw at you, and you're still here. Like, there's no way they're dropping you. And I 100% did not feel that way. I, I thought, man, I, I'm done. So that was Thursday. Uh, Friday comes, and uh, while the rest of the guys are, are prepping for Hell Week, you know, they're prepping their boats, and they're doing all this stuff. Uh, for me, for my part, I failed literally every single time run we had, all of them. Um, I passed a time swing in the underwater knot time, but I, I, I absolutely failed every single time run. And I may have failed one or more obstacle course uh, times as well. I'm not sure. But um, so they, they called me up into the office and they're like, okay, so it was my turn. So I get my helmet in my hand and I go, uh, hospital man who called the reporting is ordered. And they're like, yeah, you're gone. And I just... what. Like, they, they didn't know, of course, nor did they care of all what I had to go through to get there in the first place. Um, either way, it wasn't good enough. Uh, I didn't deserve to be there, which is a true statement. But it just, my whole life just dropped out from out of my chest. And I was just, that's how immature I was. Like, I didn't see, even though I saw it coming, I didn't see it coming. And they're like, we, we appreciate your time here, but uh, it's time for you to go. And it was that quick it was that short it was just all all of those years you know and months and all that stuff just down the drain again if I felt like I everything was over when I was in boot camp and I found out that my ASVAB wasn't high enough I mean this was them telling me that I wasn't welcome there and I was like man and so I you know I left the office and I went up to our barracks uh, or right on the beach there so I went up to my room to pack all my stuff and when I came out of the room I noticed that our hell week tent was up and I was, and so right there, I just sat down on the stairs and started crying. Like I was supposed to be, you know, it was, it sucked. So, um, you know, I, I, I left, I ended up going into like their, I think they call it X division or something. I can't remember what they call it. Um, but it's for, for guys who are processing out. So all the guys that quit, all the, all, all the guys who didn't make it, um, are in this thing. And, uh, and so I ended up, uh, you know, calling our detailer, which is the person who decides where we're going to go next, what our next job is going to be, and I ended up uh, taking up a slot to be a quorum for the Marines. Um, um, but absolutely, I, uh, you know, I, I left in, in my eyes in, with dishonor, you know. So if somebody had my name, my, oh, you know, you called it like I was doing something negative for my name. And it was, it was, it was a really tough thing, and... Um, you know, had all these stress fractures and all this kind of stuff, you know, it was just like, it couldn't have been worse for me really. Right. And, uh, so, uh, I ended up going, uh, to the school that you go to, to become a corpsman with for the Marines. And then I, uh, I served out my, the rest of my enlistment, um, which was about a year and a half or two years went on deployment with the Marines, um, which I'm absolutely grateful for because it gave me an entire absolute appreciation for the Marines as a community. I mean, I think no matter how highly people revere Marines, I don't think that they revere them high enough. I mean, Marines to me are just, um, you know, go to war with them any day. Uh, so 
that happened, and then it would came up to me, you know, the decision was to either re-enlist or get out, and I was like, well, I, I, I joined to be a SEAL. I'm not a SEAL. I'm getting out. So from that moment, um, literally for the, for the next eight years, um, at minimum, two to three times a month, I mean minimum, I would have just some terrible dream about not having made it through. Buds, you know, uh, the instructors that were there, some of the students that were just ultimate and like this huge, you know, weight of shame. Um, and also what I didn't understand at the time, but, but just living my life off the tracks, like I was, I was someplace where I wasn't supposed to be. Um, and so one day, uh, I, you know, I was, at the time I was working as a paramedic in Florida, I was working night shifts and I woke up one afternoon, like at one in the afternoon and, and there was a TV at the foot of my bed and I couldn't barely see the screen from past my stomach. I was like 270 pounds at the time. And, uh, I just had one of those dreams about not making it through buds again. And, uh, it was a discovery channel of the pararescuemen going through the air force version of buds. And I just knew, I was like, I got to go back. I got to do this. So it took me a long time to, I was deciding whether or not, it, because I love paramedicine. I love, um, you know, that whole aspect. And, and at the time, the pararescuemen were the best paramedics in the military. Um, I was like, man, you know, wh which one should I, because they call it, what, what they call buzz is indoc. And indoc is no joke. It has a 90% failure rate. Um, it's, a, it's a serious program. Um, but ultimately, I ended up saying, hey, you know, if I'm going to get this monkey off my back, the only way it's going to get off is by going through the through buds. You know, there's nothing like it. So um, I decided to go through. I lost 70 pounds. Um, and uh, this time I knew what I was getting into. I knew what it was like to be, uh, you know, class 199 that I was in was a winter class. So I knew how cold it was going to be. I knew all that stuff. Uh, it was just a matter of getting my mind and my body right. I was still having problems with my legs from... Uh, my last time in Buds, but um, I honestly went to Buds not knowing if my legs were going to be able to carry me through this time, um, but it was a chance you had to take, you know. Uh, so I ended up training myself back. Um, I went in, uh, the first time I was in Buds, I was 20 years old. This time I was 29. I was right at the cutoff, and I went in with uh, class 246, and um, I separated my shoulder in second phase, but but nothing Nothing I went through um, either dropped me from the course or, or even rolled me back. I graduated with two four six, and I finally ended up making it. So, yeah, it was a uh, it was a it was a long road to to get there for sure. So yeah, I told you a long story. Uh, <laughs> well, such an awesome story though. Yeah, yeah, man. Ass. Let me say thank you for sharing it because it was it's inspirational. Uh, everything went wrong, you know. Yeah, but you overcame it, right? So that's the that's incredible. Yeah. Injury, uh, being told to leave, right? Yeah. Being told you had to retake your test. Yeah. Uh, and one of the hardest things in the military that I think most people can resonate with is getting sent somewhere you don't want to be. Yeah. It, even if it's not bad, it's not where you want to be. Right. It's disheartening. Yeah. And it's easy to just kind of lose all your motivation. Yeah. Uh, and, but to, and if people don't know... I'm sure you had to train to to go to first time and go back, train every day, yeah. like endlessly. Yeah. Uh, and those berm sprints, like that's just one example. Of, like you see people doing it and you're like, oh, it's just there's run up a little, you know, a little berm. Yeah. But you do it for 30 minutes and, you're, and it's really exhausting. And then to go run in, if you don't know how it feels to run in soft sand, that's really hard too. Yeah. And it just sounds like 
Uh, and then do that for eight months. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, just, it just sounds like, it just sounds like uh, even though... And not at your pace either. Even yeah, though you would have had every, every reason to uh, not make it, you found a way. Right? Yeah. And that's... Dude, thank you for sharing that story. Oh, no problems. Um, I, love, I love talking about it. And again, you know, I'm, I'm coming from a place where I was broken and crying to, to where I am now, where it's part of who I am. Uh, so it's, it's, it's um, you know, it is not a, a story of regret. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's just part of living, really. Um, so, you know, I'm glad that I went through it. I, in, in a way, I, I, I kind of wish that every team guy had to go through buds a little bit and then come back if they really wanted it. Because there's, um, and I know some people are, you know, whatever it is, what it is, but it, I never felt like anything was owed to me after I was kicked out. Like when I made it and I went to Hell Week the second time, when I actually got to go to Hell Week, like I loved Hell Week. I had the greatest time on like on earth in hell week because I made like I you know it was taken away from me you know I didn't deserve it didn't belong to me to begin with but you know when I when I got there the second time and I and I did pass all the time runs and I passed the time and I did all that stuff and I deserve, and I earned my right to be there there's no way I was going to I mean it I was I honestly had the best time during hell week uh, cuz I was just so grateful to be there for sure, change my perspective. And I know that a lot of guys showing up to the teams, um, you know, they show up, they, they didn't get rolled back. You know, they, you know, everyone's go, th- and buds isn't easy for anybody, you know. Um, but for me, it just gave me a level of, of appreciation that that sometimes I don't necessarily see in other guys. Like, they just said, well, what do you mean? Yeah, I wanted to be a SEAL, so I'm here, I'm a SEAL. Like, what do you mean? And I was like, man, it, it really is, such a sweet thing to, to, you know, kind of go the route that I went. I don't think everybody should do it, but I, but I think there's value in it for sure. I I guess really at the end of the day, that's all I'm saying is that, is that there is absolutely, and that was like the leaving statement that I was, that I was mentioning before is there is value to, to getting your food taken away from you. You know what I mean? And figuring out how you're going to go about, you know, rectifying this, taking control of your life, you know, we are, uh, we're about out of time in our space today, um, so I'm going to wrap it up uh, for this segment uh, in this time sitting down with you. But I just, I think my closing statement would be, after listening to what you just said, that in those times, if, if somebody's listening and they find themselves in a situation where you feel like the carpet just got ripped out from beneath your feet uh, and the floor disappeared and you're, and you're falling through space, go ahead and feel it. Yeah. It's okay to feel, you know, feel it. It yeah. sucks, right? It's and and just own it, like feel it completely, right? But don't let it destroy you. Yeah, you gotta feel it. You gotta know what that feeling is like because that feeling can make you stronger than before. Yeah, the pain in those moments will make you stronger on the other side of it. So go ahead and just let it be what it is, but don't let it define you. Yeah, right. That's what you know. That's what I think when 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 bad things happen is it's okay to feel bad about it. It's okay to feel the pain, but, uh, recover and, and let those calluses build and you'll be tougher on the other side. Yeah. Mike, you got anything for us? No, it's just, it's, it's, his story is what it is, what it is. And it's, uh, it can truly inspire somebody and 
some people may go through some, go through something like that, and it will completely break them, and that's their life. That's it. And there are some people who like suck it up, and you know what? Going back at it, give it my all, and hear all her day. It's awesome. Like I said, it's, I heard your story. When I was in Iraq. You told me, and it's just like it's amazing. It's an awesome mm-hmm. story. Yeah, that is. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I mean, I'm sure everyone who hears that's going to appreciate that. Um, it's you know, yeah. I think I'll leave. I'll leave here today thinking about it, uh, and apply the lessons that are there to life in general. Um, <clears throat> so, to everyone out there, thank you for listening to another episode of the Scuttlebutt Show. I hope this one really knocked your socks off. It did mine. Uh, thank you to Diego Yalde oh, from uh, the, tri- the TridentApproach.com. Your new company, the Trident Approach. Congratulations on the on the business that you have going. Thank you. And uh, the classes that you've done so far, and the ones that are up that are coming up. I, I'm really hope that I get the chance to come check out one of your ops uh, here in San Diego when you're going down. And, oh, yeah. Uh, We've got some coming up next month. So, awesome. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Have you come out. And, Mike, thank you for sitting down with us today. Always. Uh, yeah, always is true, right? You've been on the show a few times now, and I really appreciate that. And uh, on congratulations it. on all your businesses as well. Appreciate it. And, to, you know, like I said, to everyone listening, uh, take, take these words uh, and learn from them and grow and create your own story after your service is over. And uh, be successful and continue to win.